The material in this podcast is for information purposes only. It does not represent the opinions of Vested Finance and is not intended to be investment advice. We recommend you to consult with a financial advisor before committing to any financial decisions. Hey everyone, I'm Kai Han, resident podcaster and co-host of the Vested Finance podcast. Welcome to episode number 20. Joining us is Jawin, co-founder of Vested Finance. Great to be here, Kai. Today, we'll be talking about something that has been on everyone's minds. Tesla's very recent, very massive purchase of Bitcoin. And we'll also discuss Uber's 2020 earnings. Okay, personally, I've largely ignored Bitcoin because it just seemed like such a phase, you know? I mean, Bitcoin may have done ridiculously well over the years, but at the same time, it's been ridiculously volatile. And yet, as we know... Tesla just took the leap and bought $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin. Why did they do that? Well, for several reasons, I think. As you mentioned, Tesla last week disclosed to the public that it had bought about $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin as part of its asset holding. So instead of holding cash or short-term investment, it bought Bitcoin as investment. Reason number one why Tesla did this could be because of diversification and maximizing returns. At least that's the company line. So Tesla claimed that the goal was to diversify and maximize returns on their cash that is not required to maintain adequate operating liquidity. Now, as the end of 2020, Tesla has more than about $19.4 billion cash on hand and short-term securities. So this investment represents about 8% of its cash, right? But it's also one of the largest investments into Bitcoin made by a public company. So yes, they don't need the portion of the cash right away. But regardless of how you look at it, that's a lot of cash to invest. Most companies avoid investing in Bitcoin, as you mentioned, because it's so volatile. Right now, the rolling 12-month daily volatility of Bitcoin is about 4.4%. This means, based on the last 12 months' worth of data, Bitcoin on a daily basis fluctuates about plus or minus 4% on a daily basis. So if you analyze that throughout the entire year, that could be about 80-84% volatility. That's huge, right? That's very extreme. This is why most companies will not hold Bitcoin as part of their treasury holdings, with exception of the few. So here's a short list. Tesla, as we mentioned before, $1.5 billion at the time of the purchase. Number two is probably MicroStrategy. When they bought it, it's, uh, they spent about $1.1 billion. So they own about 71,079 Bitcoin. So now approximately that is close to $3.2 billion in US dollars. And then MassMutual, which is a private company, invested about $100 million. Square, the fintech app and platform, owns about 4,709 Bitcoin. They actually bought it for about $50 million. Now it's worth close to $210 million. And finally, Overstock, which we don't know how much they spent on Bitcoin. So those are the handful of public and one private company that actually invest a lot in Bitcoin. Yeah, and now there's another thing. Tesla also mentioned that they want to accept Bitcoin as a form of payment. And some companies like Dell, Expedia, they have tried to use Bitcoin as a form of payment, but their attempts have largely failed. Now, the big question here is why? Yeah, so far, Overstock.com is the one-rare company that still accepts Bitcoin as a payment method. Folks have been waiting for Bitcoin to be mainstream, to be accepted widely as a replacement of fiat money. They've been expecting this for a while now, right? Because Bitcoin is more than 10 years old now, but that hasn't happened yet. In fact, currently, 
barely anyone uses Bitcoin to buy anything. Only about 1.3% of economic transactions come from merchants in the first four months of 2019. That's rounding error. Why is that? Let's take a step back and look at this from first principles. For any instrument to be an effective payment method, i.e. money, it has to have four characteristics. Characteristic number one is it has to be a good store of value. Number two, a unit of account. Number three, medium of exchange. And number four, accepted by the government. So let me walk you through a couple of examples of what I mean by that. Characteristic number one, store of value. So let's say you earn $100 from your work that you did on Monday. Come Saturday, when you're ready to spend that money, the value should be about the same. In other words, the purchasing power needs to be relatively stable. It has to be a good, stable store of value. Fiat money, US dollars, Sing dollars, rupees, whatever the typical fiat currency meets this criteria. Characteristic number two is unit of account. Money is also a measurement of unit of how much something is worth. For example, if you earn an hourly wage of $20 an hour and your rent is $400 an hour, you know we can exchange 20 hours of your labor to pay for your monthly rent. Characteristic number three, a good medium of exchange. That means money has to be accepted widely. The consumer must be able to use money anywhere he or she chooses to buy food, pay rent, buy a car, or even travel to other countries. Characteristic number four, accepted by the government. This is actually, first time I heard about this was uh, Ray Dalio mentioned it. Under normal circumstances, this definition is implicit because even since ancient times, money has always been issued by the ruling entity, either the king, if it's a kingdom, or the central government, and so on and so forth. With the rise of decentralized cryptocurrencies, we have observed that this requirement is now needed because there are multiple instances where governments have banned cryptocurrencies. For example, in 2017, China banned transactions, uh, conversion between fiat and Bitcoin, and a lot of the exchanges. India banned cryptocurrencies in 2018, which was reverted by the Supreme Court last year in 2020. But now there's a proposal where it might be banned again. So if you look at these four characteristics and focusing our discussion on one, two, three, cryptocurrencies generally and Bitcoin specifically do not meet characteristics one and three as a store of value and medium of exchange. It's not widely accepted as money because it's not a good store of value because the price is too volatile. So as I mentioned, if you look at the past 12-month rolling daily volatility of Bitcoin from the past six years, it ranges between 2 to 6% on a daily basis. The volatility tends to increase with increasing hype. In 2017-2018 mini bubble, the daily volatility spiked to 6%. Now, as we're discussing this, it's about 4.4%, which translates to a volatility of 84% if you annualize it, which is very high, right? So if you contrast that with the volatility of U.S. dollars against U.S. dollars exchange rate against a basket of currencies of U.S. trading partners, the U.S. dollars volatility is 10 times lower. Another interesting part when you look at the historical volatility is that not just the magnitude of volatility, but also the trend. Arguably, the last six years, there's a lot more mainstream adoption. There's a lot more media awareness and coverage, but yet volatility has not trended down. So increasing quote-unquote adoption is not decreasing volatility because people and institutions are not adopting it as money, but as speculative investment vehicle. So going back to your original question, how feasible it is for Tesla specifically to accept Bitcoin as payment method to purchase cars or Tesla's product, to me, it's, it's not really feasible. It's unlikely that Bitcoin will be adopted as money anytime soon. Hold on. So if Bitcoin isn't going to be an accepted payment standard anytime soon, why has Tesla taken on this risk? Sure, they have loads of cash, but what could they gain? 
Yeah, just because Bitcoin cannot function as money efficiently does not mean that Bitcoin cannot be a speculative investment vehicle, at least for Tesla. In fact, I would argue that, quote unquote, increasing adoption, right, is increasing adoption Bitcoin as a speculative investment vehicle. Here are three things that are true. The first, Tesla's share price ran up more than 420% that past year alone. The company has been issuing more stocks and therefore diluting the investors to raise more cash. The funny thing is, for most companies, when the company issues more stock, share price actually goes down. But Tesla seems to be immune to this effect. But as a result of the stock issuance, it has more than $19 billion in cash. And therefore, this Bitcoin investment won't affect Tesla's liquidity in the short and medium term. Fact number two, in the past six years, the largest drawdown in Bitcoin price was between December 2017 to December 2018, where Bitcoin price went down by almost half. And fact number three, Elon can influence Bitcoin prices. There has been multiple instances through Twitter, either through a tweet or changing a status, where Elon boosted the price of Bitcoin. So at the risk of losing potentially half of its investment in Bitcoin, combined with the fact that Tesla is in a pretty decent cash position and the fact that Elon's tweets can actually move the price upwards, Tesla is making an asymmetric bet where the potential upside is larger than the potential downside. So let me get this straight. On one hand, you have Tesla investing in Bitcoin, and on the other, you have Elon Musk tweeting and affecting the price. Is that legal? Yeah, it feels like a conflict of interest. There has been precedent of celebrities getting in trouble for pumping ICOs, you know, hyping initial coin offerings, which is similar to IPO, but for crypto. But these celebrities were pursued by the SEC for failing to disclose that they got paid for pumping these ICOs, which are considered securities, hence the SEC's involvement. But this is not the case for Elon or Tesla or Bitcoin. Bitcoin is actually considered a commodity, not security first. So this is unlikely to be the case for Elon or Tesla or Bitcoin because Bitcoin is not considered security. It's considered a digital currency or a commodity. And also, it's unlikely that Elon's actions in hyping Bitcoin will put him in regulatory hot water. So regulators especially are very concerned about pump and dump schemes, you know, where a promoter buying an asset, and then go out and hyping the asset to entice new buyers, and therefore increasing the price, and then unloading the asset. Right now, at most, Elon's actions constitute of the pumping part, the first half, hyping it. And he doesn't even hype it. He just make comments about Bitcoin or changing the hashtag of his status on Twitter. So he's not even close to that legal line of quote-unquote hyping it, right? So nevertheless, some prominent lawyers have advised Elon caution. All of this sounds pretty damn risky. What happens to Tesla if the price of Bitcoin drops? Yeah, so this is actually an accounting risk. In the US, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, as I mentioned, are not considered securities. They are considered intangible assets. As a result, if the price of the asset goes down below the purchase price, even temporarily, then any company is forced to write down the value. This is called impairment charges. In other words, for Tesla, if Bitcoin price declines below its purchase price, then the company must take the charge, which in turn will reduce profits. And it may result, if the charge is large enough, in negative profitability. I guess now that Tesla is part of S&P 500, it's less concerned about maintaining that sequential profitable quarters that it needed back last year to actually join the index. Well, that makes sense. But enough on Tesla. Let's talk about Uber. With the global lockdown, Uber's business cannot have fared well in 2020. 
Now that we have the full year's data for the company, do we see some signs of recovery? Does Uber expect to achieve positive profitability in 2021? Yeah, here are three key takeaways from Uber's 2020 earnings. The first takeaway, so far, mobility or the rideshare business has not recovered. In both Q3 and Q4 2020, gross bookings and revenue are still down about 50% when compared to the same periods in 2019. Fortunately, though, as people were stuck at home, the delivery business accelerated. In Q4 2020, gross booking for delivery was up 128% year-over-year, while revenue went up 220% year-over-year. So the delivery business acted as a hedge against global lockdown. The second takeaway, with deployment of vaccines and decline of new COVID-19 cases globally, Uber's mobility business might be poised to return. There's some early data in other countries. So Uber has observed demand recovery in Taiwan, Brazil, New Zealand, Hong Kong, and Australia. Unfortunately, it didn't share the recovery for U.S., which arguably might be its biggest market. The recovery in these countries that I mentioned was specifically true for the social and commute purposes. But volume of ride has not recovered for airport rides. As a side note, the fact that commute purposes has rebounded quite significantly, which seems to suggest that the proclamations about the death of working from offices might be premature. And finally, the third takeaway, the difficult 2020 has pushed Uber to refocus. The company has sold its deeply unprofitable self-driving and vertical taxi businesses, refocusing its efforts to core mobility and delivery businesses. It bought Postmates to expand its food delivery service and recently announced the acquisition of Drizzly, a liquor delivery service for about $1.1 billion on a mostly stock deal, 90% shares. Uber believes it's on track to achieve quarterly profitability, at least on an adjusted EBITDA basis in 2021 and achieve a long-term profitability target of 25%. That said, to get this profitability number, advertisement will likely play a critical role for Uber. And by that, I mean Uber's ads business, since ads can be a very high-margin business. Last week, we talked about Amazon and Amazon's ads. For Uber, it's true. For a lot of two-sided marketplace, once you have a high traffic from users to your website or application, you can further monetize via advertisement. So for Uber, the ads business is still very new. It rolled out ads to six countries in 2020 and was adopted by nearly 44,000 active restaurants. 44,000 active restaurants. That's incredible. Well, all the best of luck to Uber in 2021. Thank you, Darwin, for your take on both Tesla and Uber. All right, then, we've come to the end of our podcast. Thank you for tuning in, everyone. Thanks, Kai. As always, a pleasure. Until next week. To our listeners, we hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode. For more insights into markets and emerging technologies, please visit our blog at vested.co.in. As always, take care and stay safe.